The ten-foot-tall Charlie Brown Christmas tree. You ain't never seen anything like this before. Up next on the Crossing Ideas Podcast. Welcome to the Crossing Ideas Podcast. I'm Mark Sassy, author of 12 novels, playwright fortunate enough to win some awards, an American who has lived half his life internationally. I've decided to use those experiences in this podcast as a lens of looking at the world of today. I'd be grateful if you check out my works at www.mwsassy.com. That's M-W-S-A-S-S-E.com. And since today's episode is about Christmas, I'd be remiss not to mention my latest novel, Christmas in 45, a tender tale about a child dealing with the loss of her serviceman father at the tail end of World War II. That's Christmas in 45. Find it on Amazon or wherever you buy books. Episode 8. A Charlie Brown Christmas in Vietnam. One of the most trying aspects of living as an expat is being away from family and friends during the most important times of the year. The birthdays, the tragedies, and of course, the holidays. That's especially amplified when you're living in a country which doesn't really celebrate your main holiday, as it was with us living in Vietnam during the Christmas season. Christmas has always been one of my favorite times of the year. I have so many memories and traditions which were passed down from my childhood, and it's only just one of those times where I I want to buy too many presents for everyone and eat too much food and stuff too much candy into my stockings. I'm obsessive that way, even though I know it won't last very long, because I'm obsessive with eating it as well. Well, in Vietnam, where only a small minority of the population is Christian, Christmas was mainly a non-entity, or at the very least, a minor entity. In 1999, we moved into a house in Thai Nguyen, which is 60 miles north of Hanoi, and we're puzzled how best to celebrate our first Christmas there. There were very few foreigners, not like Hanoi, where you could at least get invited to a larger expat gathering, for example. There also were no Protestant churches in Thai Nguyen, and only one Catholic church in the province. Worst of all, there were no Christmas tree farms, no artificial trees to be had. I wanted a tree, but how was I going to get one? I was talking to one of my students at the time about Christmas and about Christmas trees, and and one day I shared with him how I was sad that I couldn't get a pine tree in Thai Nguyen in order to decorate for a Christmas tree. He perked up and said, I know where to get a pine tree. You do? I had to confirm that we were talking about the same thing, a coniferous tree, pretty rare in the subtropical climate of Vietnam. But he assured me it was a pine tree. So I'm like, okay, let's do it. We got on our motorbikes and rode south out of town for several miles until we motioned off the road and we traversed down a dirt path when lo and behold, we came across a grove of pine trees. Now these were long, needled, scraggly looking trees, which were 30 to 40 feet high. I saw no Douglas firs. I saw no neatly arranged rows of trees ready for the plucking. 
but all he promised me was a pine tree. That we got. He told me to wait there, and he, he went down below to talk with some people, presumably the, the owners of the property. And he came back to me a few minutes later and said, Okay, we can chop the top off of one of the trees, and that can be your Christmas tree. Chop the top off. <laughs> you know, I can only imagine how that conversation went with the owner of the property. Let, let's play along a little bit here. Excuse me, sir. I was wondering if we could chop the top off of one of your trees. Why? Well, I have this crazy American teacher who needs a Christmas tree. What's a Christmas tree? It's a type of pine tree that they put in their house to celebrate Christmas. Why? Uh, I don't know. And he wants the top of one of my trees? Yes, that's right. Um, look yourself out. I really need to turn this into a play of some sort, note to self. So yeah, <clears throat> we, were, we were going to chop the top off of a tree. How? Well, my student and the guy grabbed a saw and just started climbing the tree. You know, I'm gawking from the ground, taking photos. There has never been a Christmas tree harvest quite like this before. We were making Vietnamese history. I was quite certain of it. And sure enough, after a little cutting, the top of the tree comes tumbling down, and that top was now my Christmas tree. The thing was massive. I don't know, 10 feet tall. Now what? Well, we had motorbikes, and if there is one superpower of the Vietnamese, it is putting an inordinate amount of cargo onto a motorbike. Now, the greatest cargo haul I have ever seen on a motorbike in Vietnam, and I've seen plenty impressive ones, trust me, this was in Haizuang, which is halfway between uh, Hanoi and Haiphong. And this motorbike had two cows strapped upside down on both sides of his bike. So, so they could balance each other out. It was incredible. I, I have a photo, a very poor quality photo, because as this uh, motorbike was moving past me, I was like, what? I take a picture of this. And I scrambled to take a picture and I barely got one off. And it's pretty grainy and not good. But there is a photo, nonetheless. And I thought, if he can carry two cows on a motorbike, surely my student can figure out how to carry a Christmas tree. Well, yes and no. He carried it for a while, but it was awkward and difficult. And, and if the Vietnamese have a second superpower, it's being resourceful. We got an idea. We stopped on the side of the road, and he told me, uh, we're going to flag down a bus. Uh, why? We're going to hire it to carry the tree back. Okay, I never would have thought of that. Sure enough, here comes a bus. He flags it down and starts explaining. Can you uh, carry this tree back for us? Tree? It looks like the top of a tree. Oh yeah, can, can you carry it back for us? What's it for? It's a, it's a Christmas tree. What's a Christmas tree? A pine tree that foreigners put in their houses at Christmas. Why? I don't know. It's ugly. Yes. Can you take it? Sure, you can strap it to the top of the bus. So they throw the tree onto the roof of the bus and strap it down. Now just imagine all the passengers staring out the windows at this strange procedure. This big white guy instructing... <laughs> a couple of Vietnamese 
to strap a top, the top of a Christmas tree, no, not even a Christmas tree, a, a trop, the top of a pine tree to the roof of a bus. I tell you, just trying to be a normal American was an ordeal in Vietnam. Absolutely an ordeal. So we pay the driver a small carrying fee and he took off. We rode behind him, watching the pine needles and branches sway in the wind. It was all so exciting, actually. You know, and eventually we get it to the house, and, and I, I thanked my student profusely for, for his help. And then we dragged it inside the house to the, I'm, I'm not sure what, the, uh, the shock, the horror, the, or the hilarity that was on my wife's face. Like, what was that? It was a monstrous top of a pine tree, now in our living room. It was Charlie Brown's tree on steroids. It had mangy branches and gaping holes, and it had the girth of an opera singer at the bottom, but a pencil-necked countant at the top. But hey, we had a live Christmas tree, perhaps the first one ever in Tanguyen. We had to figure out how to make it stand. It's not like we could go out to Walmart and buy a Christmas tree stand. You know, eventually we strapped it to the metal uh, bars over the windows, and we decorated that monstrous thing the best way we could. And it turned out to be quite the Christmas we would never forget. You know, there were other ways that we tried to make uh, Christmas special when we were overseas. Uh, we celebrated Christmas uh, many times. Oftentimes, I would, uh, I would make a Christmas movie with, with my kids, and they would play Mary and Joseph, and I would write a script for them, and we would film it. Those are some of our most cherished moments uh, living overseas. One time, a colleague of ours uh, taught the Christmas story to a bunch of her students, and they performed it as a skit in our living room. So we had the, the, the live Christmas story retelling by Vietnamese students in our living room, and many of them learning the true meaning of the Christmas holiday for the first time. It was uh, quite, quite fun to, uh, to remember those days. And, and that's, that's kind of the thing about international living. You do things that you normally wouldn't do, and they end up being moments you cherish for the rest of your life. You also start allowing small things to have significant meaning. Now, here's an example. As I mentioned, there were no Protestant churches in Tainguyen. That was uh, my tradition growing up, Protestantism. And uh, Catholics, to me, were, were so foreign that they seemed like a completely different religion to me. Now, I, I even remember, I remember this one time, uh, being told in church when I was a young teen that Catholics won't go to heaven, or at least that's how I understood it at the time. And I, I had a very good Catholic friend whom I happened to tell that to one day. I don't know how I said it, but I remember it very vividly. We were at his house on the side of the yard. I don't know how we got onto religion. And I said, oh, did you know that you're not going to heaven? <laughs> no. I know that was not very bright of me, okay? And I know that we started arguing over this point, but that was my that was my 14-year-old understanding of my faith. So I, I was taught that Catholics were doing it wrong, and that's why there was the Protestant Reformation. But you know, it was the years in Vietnam that helped me realize that we can get bogged down in details and in theology and we can argue over things while we absolutely miss the broader, more important picture. 
And I think it was my Catholic Vietnamese student, the only one I had in Thai Nguyen, who made me realize that our similar beliefs hold us much closer than our differences tear us apart. To, to him, to even be able to say Jesus and Mary, and he knew what I was talking about, that was huge because my other students had no idea. And if I brought up Easter or the crucifixion or the resurrection, there was an immediate understanding between us that I didn't have with any of my other students. And we could smile at each other and nod and know that we had this little bond, this little connection, knowing that there were strands of our faith which had crisscrossed the world to find themselves at the same school. We were alone, but together in belief. And I found this connection to be a, a beautiful thing. The local Vietnamese churches were packed to the gills on Christmas Eve. This is one of the peculiarities that I found in Vietnam, and I was surprised at it. Uh, Non-Christians would go to church on Christmas Eve, many of them. And the churches would just be absolutely packed. I saw this in Haiphong when I lived there, in Hanoi, and even at the lonely Catholic church in Thai Nguyen. remember one uh, Christmas Eve, I was just curious, and I drove my bike past the, the Catholic church there, and it was just absolutely packed. People standing outside, uh, looking through the window at what was going on inside. There was a, there was a great curiosity, and, and I suppose a respect. And I suppose a respect for one of the holiest days of the Christian calendar. Religion in Vietnam is very different. It may not be as obvious as the casual outsider might think. Vietnam is not a Buddhist country. Yes, there are Buddhists, and there are many Buddhist temples, but there are even greater, more meaningful religions and beliefs which affect the Vietnamese more than Buddhism. The most important is what's often called the Vietnamese religion, ancestor worship. There's in every house a family altar where, you know, monthly they will put food and incense and they'll worship at the altar to remember those who came before them. At the Tet holiday, the, the, the Vietnamese New Year, it's extremely important to, as they say in Vietnamese, Ve Quê, to go home, to go to the hometown. It's almost like a pilgrimage to pay homage to those who have come before them, to the ancestral home, and they'll have a, a special little um, gravesite and special little building even for the you know the, the pillars of of the past for that family. These beliefs are is often described as being like uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas all rolled into one. It's that important at the Tet holiday at the at the, at the New Year's. To, uh, to pay your respects like that. Um, beyond that, you have uh, Taoism um, and many Taoist beliefs, the yin-yang, the, the spiritual beliefs and the powers of the universe that are, that are prevalent. And then you have Confucianism, which is not a religion per se, but it has a, a dramatic impact on Vietnam and, and the structure and the, and the organization of the family and the village and, and the, the culture at large. And beyond these different beliefs and religions, you have this um, great affinity toward of the past. And Vietnam has this, uh, is, is really related to their origin story. You have the, the, the home kings 
from the Bronze Era, which predate any Chinese involvement in the area of Vietnam, and that's incredibly important to them. And I'm actually um, exploring these ideas in a new uh, Vietnam uh, fantasy novel that I'm writing. You know, stay tuned on that one because it's going to be crazy fun. But if you but if you go to the the Hum Temple in uh, Viet Chi, Viet Chi is a city not not too far from Hanoi, and you'll see this. Uh, big shrine and this big complex that is um, pays pays hom homage to the the ancient era and there are many artifacts there that kind of prove its existence prior to the Chinese ever coming and uh, one of, one of the most important things is the the bronze drum that shows how their culture predated any Chinese incursion from the north and so that they hold on to these beliefs, and there's this great affinity towards the past. But what's interesting is if you go to a temple in Vietnam, even a Buddhist temple, what you'll get is kind of a hodgepodge of beliefs in one one place. You, you'll have Buddha. There'll, there'll be a place for the Vietnam kings. There'll be a place for the local patron saints of the village. There'll be Confucian symbols all rolled into one. It's, it's really quite fascinating. It really is, and for a young man like myself, when I when I first arrived there, there was this huge learning curve in trying to understand where my Vietnamese friends, the Vietnamese people, were coming from in terms of you know beliefs that drive their actions, because there were so many different beliefs that that just seemed to meld together, at least in this person's eyes. Now I want to shift back to the first Christmas in Tainwen. We have this humongous treetop right in front of us tied to the iron metal bars that, that guard our house from the thieves at night. And we are sitting around in these massive, massive quilts. I mean, I've never seen any, the thickest quilts I've ever seen in my life because there was no heat in our house and it's only 52 degrees outside and it gets incredibly cold if you are sitting in 52 degree weather. So we're sitting around in these massive quilts and we're sipping hot chocolate, and we're basking in the beautiful scene of the Charlie Brown tree on steroids. You know, these are the important moments, the ones that you remember. You know, we all have these underlying beliefs, the stories, the histories, the traditions which, which bind us together. I've heard stories of Christians living under the Soviet Iron Curtain, and how everything had to be hidden and protected and how at, at any time their faith could be exposed. And they could be in a lot of trouble if, they, if the authorities discovered the faith icons which they kept in the back of their house. I saw one video where they still, to this day, keep the icons hidden in the back. Not because they have to, but they do it on purpose, just to remember the time when there wasn't religious freedom. But, you know, I can imagine these folks who can't worship openly, meeting one another on the street on Christmas Eve and just nodding at each other, knowing exactly what the other one is thinking, knowing that they are worshiping together in their hearts, that they have not been fractured spiritually, even though they may have been physically fractured as a body of believers. Communist countries have shown over and over again that there is an ebb and a flow with religious freedoms. Sometimes the reins are loosened, sometimes tightened, which seems to be the case in China in recent years for sure.
But true convictions remain, whether it's the legend of the Hoom Kings, whom proved to be the true link of Vietnamese identity, not grounding themselves in anything from the Hans and the, of the North, or whether it's the underground church who meets together despite putting themselves in harm's way. People follow their convictions, and no government fiat will stop that. That's why in the face of being so different and distant from the majority of the Vietnamese I was around, it was so special to find that Catholic student and be able to share a bond and a smile over the fact that we believed basically the same thing. I'm grateful for that student and the other one who was crazy enough to cut down the top of a tree just so a strange American could have his childhood live on. This is Mark Sassy. Thanks for listening to the Crossing Ideas podcast. Up next in episode nine, I hated everything, so I learned to cook. That's up next on the Crossing Ideas podcast. Remember to subscribe and follow to automatically receive future episodes. I'd love to hear your comments. And once again, Thanks for listening.